0: going to continue today in the study of we've been looking at Joseph when God shows up is what we've been putting as the tagline and today it's when he shows up giving special abilities when God shows up and he brings with him his giftedness among his people special abilities the leaders of Hamlin and I a couple of months ago met in a retreat, we started on a Friday evening, spent uh, most of that evening together. Saturday, we spent time together, spent time praying around tables. Uh, we spent time thinking about what is God asking us to do. And I'll be sharing more with you about that in the next you know, few months or weeks coming up. One thing that we saw coming out of that retreat is that we have functioning all the time within the life of this church, whether you see it or don't see it. 21 different leadership teams, like a 21 leaders, and around those leaders, we're encouraging them to get a team of three or four or five people, and so when you start thinking about that number of people working together, that means we have over 200 places where people are working together to fulfill the commission God has placed upon Hamlin's heart to finish it. We're probably running about at 80% at at where the Lord wants us to be, and we're praying right now for the Lord to raise up laborers into the field and to fill, complete those spots, but in each team, for example, last Wednesday night, we met in here for a fantastic time together with some uh, great food, tables and decorations, and a Thanksgiving time in the Hillcrest Choir, if you missed it, I'm sorry because it was so sweet, special night. But that was a team of people that met and planned and prayed and detailed and put that together for us. And we sometimes don't think about that. We just come in and it's all happened. Well, that's because people with different gifts, people with different talents, abilities and skills come together to pull off things like that for us all the time. And so I'm just grateful for that. And each one of those teams takes special people with special gifts and special talents. Because if I were cooking for that event, it would have been peanut butter sandwiches and Lay's potato chips in the yellow bag. They have to be in the yellow bag or the rest. Yes, Yes, sister, I hear that. Because once you open that, it's all over. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis 40. We're going to look at, in this passage today, the Lord's going to show, show us some, uh, in this story of Joseph, what was happening when, when God showed up and you're not going to know about it, but you're going to hear it here with a special ability, giftedness of God. Ultimately, I want you to hear today that you are also one of those that God gifts with special endowments from heaven, special supernatural abilities. Times when you function or you're serving the Lord, you're just walking faithfully with Him. You may not even have the sense of emotional closeness or a spiritual high but you just walked in and you started doing that day what God laid before you and then the anointing of God is there and the flow of God starts going through you and you have supernatural abilities happening. That is the norm if you'll hear me. That is the norm for the follower of Jesus Christ. It's not the abnormal thing for God to come and through the power of His Spirit flow through you to change people's lives, that's normal. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. And with the Spirit of God comes the gifting of God. That means the power of not this earthly kingdom, but there is a kingdom power, God's kingdom, that He wants to use just us, men and women of frailty and flesh. And in the midst of us, attempting to lay our life down to serve Him, then the Spirit of God flows through us. We don't all have to to be the, the best or the tallest or the richest or the whatever. It's just we serve Him and this power flows through us. If you'll look at Genesis 40, it starts out this way. And it says these words, after these things. Okay, what's it talking about? In the story before this, where we are today, it's the injustice that has happened against Joseph. So many things have been against him all along the journey of his life. It's been tough. He's had a hard road. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely accused of sexual assault, which did not happen. Joseph would was now in the, in the time of this story was still in prison because of all this stuff against him. Just imagine if this was happening to you, hated by your family, sold into slavery to get some money to just get you out of their life and you find yourself right now in a prison, you've been there two years and nothing's going on, it's dark and you're hungry and, and you're saying, God, where are you and where's this purpose in my life? Because prisons of that time were not like modern prisons today. Where Brother Jim, we were talking this morning. It's not like that. In that day it would be some kind of a dungeon basement type of thing. Under a building, under a house. No windows. It would be very crude, very rough, very cool and damp and miserable. And that's where he found himself as we come into this story. Joseph found himself in that place where, uh, if you're like me, I would have have to fight off a sense of doom and despair if I were in that dark place and in that cold place. And, you know, in his heart, Joseph wanted to fulfill the dream God had put there, but he finds himself stuck under a house, miserable, hungry, cold, tired, and forgotten. Bad place to be. Depressing place to be. They would live on very little food. Some of the uh, mates are the prisoners that would be there. If they had family nearby, they would bring them some food to eat. But if you'll remember Joseph, where was his family? Not there. A long way away. So we don't know the survival of what that would look like. But inside of that cell came two new cellmates. On a particular day. One was the butler. A butler at this particular time. Was basically. Uh, tr- he, he handled everything. For Pharaoh's private life. He took care of all the details. Of what he was going to do that day. And how to handle it. He, he would test the foods. Before that was brought to, the, to Pharaoh. He would test the drinks. To protect Pharaoh. He was, he was very intimate with Pharaoh. He was very close to him. Then there was the baker that came in. Then then we have uh, some, sorry, the butler was there. Then the baker came on the same day, put into the same prison. Both of these people were very close to uh, Pharaoh. The baker, he oversaw everything in the kitchen. Uh, It would be like executive chef for us today. He took care of everything that was happening for all the food that was brought to to the Pharaoh. Why were they put there? The scripture is not specifically clear as to why these two were, but somehow they were very displeasing to Pharaoh because he took them on that day, threw them down into the prison. It could have been that they gave him bad drink or served meatloaf on Wednesday or something. I don't know why they did, why he was down there. Or it could be that they, he thought that they were trying some kind of a coup or to hurt him. We just don't know. But it was serious enough for him to throw them out, put them into a prison. And I've told you, wherever Joseph went, when you look at the story, God would raise him quickly from a, the lowest to the highest place. Even in the prison, when he was thrown into prison... It was not very long until the guy over the prison raised him up to be over most all of it while he was still in jail himself. It was in this messy scenario that God orchestrated. God moved in such a way that was to put Joseph in the right place at the right time to experience what God was doing through all of this. God was going to use their dreams. We're going to read those dreams in just a moment. God was going to use their dreams, this baker and butler, to begin to sharpen within Joseph the ability to hear a dream and the supernatural ability to interpret those dreams when God shows up with special abilities. I'd like to say don't overlook the small twists and turns of your life. Don't overlook when you get hindered from this thing that you thought you were going to do. Don't overlook that because if you're being hindered from that, that's God's hand. So pay attention. Don't don't fight against it. Don't push against when God is moving you. Because here's what I believe and you're going to see through this Joseph story. Your life is in the master's hand. Your life is in the master designer's plan. Even if you're under the house, nobody knows you're there and you've been hidden for two years and you're hungry and cold. You need to know the master planner of your life will move in, move out, shape, move to get you where he wants you to be. I believe that completely. He is sovereign. He is amazing that way. Awesome. David wrote in the Psalms, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. After Vicky and I left here in 79 or 80, we went to Mount Vernon First Baptist Church. We spent 8 years there. I uh, had a great time in that in that great church and in the midst of that time God began to put in my heart strongly the the desire Because when we started looking around at that church, that First Baptist Church, the majority of the population of that church were probably 65 and above. Great church, strong church. But what we began to see, and I thought, well, that's weird. Where are the, the middle-aged people? And where we had a whole lot of teenagers. We would run sometimes 90 teenagers on a Wednesday night. But we didn't have... That parent group or that younger group, it was mainly older population and then a lot of teenagers. Started looking at that, started checking around the other churches in Mount Vernon. Same thing was happening. Nobody was reaching what that time would have been the baby boomers. They just weren't going. They weren't attending. And so that began to put a burden on my heart to be able to figure out what do, we, what do we have to do in this day to reach that particular generation for the Lord. And honestly, as a church, we have to do that fairly regularly. What are we doing? How are we, what do we do to get this next generation? Because our job, we're, we're relay runners, aren't we? We carry a baton for a season, but there better be somebody there to hand that baton to when we run to the end of our race. So, we always have to be thinking about that. How do we adjust to get to the next generation? Do you know it's no different from missionaries that go into foreign countries, into different tribes? They have to figure out the language of the tribe, the plan of the tribe, the culture of the tribe, and then take the unchanging mes- message of the gospel to and interpret it to that particular group of people. That's a missionary. But that's what we do as well as a church. Always figuring out how do we get the message to the next. We were there and started Covenant Church. Just this side of Mount Vernon. When you're heading for Mount Vernon, you'll see the church just on your right hand side. We felt like the Lord called us to start a church and we started Covenant. For the specific purpose of reaching that baby boomer population, that generation. The Lord blessed that. The Lord used that. We saw a whole bunch of people coming uh, into the church. A lot of people gave their hearts to the Lord there. And when we got, it was in the 14th year, I remember it. can still remember the feel of it. 14th year, going everything's as normal and good. And then something turned off in me. A switch just turned off. I'm driven by vision. I love vision. I told you that the other day. If you have a business vision and I sit with you and hear your plan, I'm so excited about your plan because I can see your vision. But my vision shut off at Covenant after being there 14 years. I really didn't know what that meant at that time. But we just tried to remain faithful, to preach and to lead and to teach, but it's hard when you can't see what's coming down the road. You know what I'm saying? When you're called to have eyes to see and begin to try to lead a church. If you don't know where you're going it's tough to lead a church there. So eight months later I was having lunch happened to be having lunch at Buckingham's right across from Bass Pro that barbecue place and went in there. My sons, uh, some of my sons, I can't remember how many were there, three or four of them, three, probably three of them. We were having lunch in there and when we were having lunch, right behind us, real close behind us, came Hosey Blue, Dr. Marshall. Uh, who was my boss over there? You're not going to help me, are you? Oh, Brent Davis. Brent Davis. If you know Brent, he's about that tall. Um, they all came and sat right behind me. And they started talking. And I couldn't help but here as we were having lunch. They were talking about, let's, we'd like to partner, that would be Second Baptist and Ridgecrest, let's partner and plan a church on the southwest growth edge of Springfield. And so they were talking about it, when I when I got up to leave, I spoke to Hosey, and I said, Hosey, I'm in a place right now. This was in that wait period at Covenant. I said, I'm in a place right now, I'm not sure what the Lord's doing, but I'd, be, I'd love to talk to you about that. Shortly after that, we went to Ridgecrest, on staff for a year with one, actually two jobs. Pretty good, pretty good deal. I only had two things to do. One was just to plan to start or to plant a church. So you start writing and developing your plans on, toward the vision. And then the other thing I've never heard a pastor say before. Pastor Hosey said to me, I want you to get as many of the Ridgecrest people as you can get to go with you. Yeah, preachers, we're normally trying to hang on to people, right? He said, get all you can get. Take them down there. I'll always remember that. We were down there uh, 16 years. And it was the last Sunday of February of 2016. I remember it. uh, The devastating feel of that switch went off again. I actually went down into my office as soon as I got home and just sat there almost sick to my stomach. And Vicki walked into the office and said, what are you doing down here? And I said, well, I'm, I can't tell you, but that switch turned off again. Then I later found that Hamlin was praying very specifically at that season for a pastor. Then through some other coincidence, uh, if you think it's that way, or the hand of God. Uh, my daughter talked about Hamlin to me. She didn't even know Hamlin. And my son did a tour, because he was with the Dream Center people, did a tour of the old building, called me while they were walking through the building, and said, Dad, weren't you here at one point? I said, yes, and so through that, I called Sharon Andrews. Sharon was our administrative secretary, and 40 years ago, she and Mike were on our youth leadership team here at Hamlin, long time back. And I just said, Sharon, I don't know what's going on, but I'd like to talk to somebody on your team. And that began a process that for us, we really felt clearly, the Lord says, yes, this is what I'm doing. And a matter of fact, it was almost two years ago exactly when we came to be a part of this great church. I'm telling you all that, and you're saying, what in the world, he's just rambling on. Um, I'm telling you all that to say is that God is orchestrating our life. And he's orchestrating your life. And sometimes that is awesome. And sometimes it's in the moments when he turned the switch off. And it may not be that way for you. But for me, when I don't have that vision, vision of God in me, I am miserable. I just hate it. I'm, just, I'm, I'm in the prison under the house eating bread and water. That's what I feel like. And just emotionally, I'm not good. I'm not gotten good at it. In this age, I probably won't get much better at it, probably. But that switch turned off again. I believe. See, God brought Pat Finley. Well, first of all, I think God God brought Calvin Mayberry to establish a heart here like no other. I don't know all the pastors in that line, but I know that they brought Pat here to get Hamlin ready to move. It was a tough time, but it was through that time and the leadership that helped the church to make some really tough decisions. I believe that the Lord brought Richard Baker in here to build structure and finances and buy land and build a building and do some things that most of us could not do. And then I really feel like the Lord brought Vicky and I here to help the church get back on its feet to catch a vision that God's plan for this body is bigger than we realize. And I still believe that firmly in my heart that that we've yet to see the full extent of God's plan for this body. But we're not behind. We're not desperate. I'm just telling you we're in a place that God is using us and is going to be using us in greater and greater ways. To organize so that we can attempt to reach hundreds, potentially thousands of people before the Lord returns. He just gives us necessary gifts and talents to get things done. He put Joseph in a place to hear a particular dream From the leader of Egypt. Why? Remember the plan, through the promise of God. Back to Abraham. Do you remember Abraham, the father of of the Israelites? All the way back there, God spoke to him: Through your seed is going to come the answer of all scripture. Through your seed. He didn't say plural seeds, through your seed. From the genetic line. And that's exactly why God did all of this orchestration to get Joseph into the place. He could hear a Pharaoh's dream and tell him the answer to it. Why? To protect the seed, the line, out of that line, out of the line of David would become a a savior, a Messiah. We're getting ready to celebrate that at Christmas. But that's the whole design of this thing. If you can step back and look at it. It looks like the smallness of our life The mistakes and the twists and the turns, and we wonder, what is our purpose? And yet God is in the midst of working His plan out. I don't know what that does to you. It gives me comfort. Without that, I feel like I'm a sheet out on the line, flipping and flopping around, blown by this and that. But to know that my God is so strong that even in the twists that I don't like, He's still shaping, moving, and changing to get us in the right place. I love that. I think that I'm think i thankful for that. See, when God places us for His purpose, here, I'm getting ready to close, He also gives us the necessary gifting to accomplish it. Because a lot of people might say, you might hear of ministry needs like within the life of this church. And you would have a vision or a passion for it, but you might say in yourself, well, I'm, I'm not very special. I'm not really good. I'm not whatever I'm not. And you might be talking yourself out of something that God is shaping and putting you right there in front of you because you're called to make that happen. And you think, well, he's, getting, he's scraping the barrel bottom if it's me. He's trying to get to fix it. Well, the truth is we all kind of feel that way. Lord, if, if you're going to use me, you're getting pretty low on the barrel. But you know what he says? No, I chose you, placed you, I'm going to use you. We just, I'm just saying there's a courage in there if you find it. God will give you what you need to accomplish what he's put in front of you to accomplish. All right, let's look at the dream. Genesis 40, verse 9. The chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and the vine in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I placed the cup in his hands. Okay, how do you interpret that? But it's, Joseph began to tell him, this is what your dream meant. This special ability was given to Joseph. He says, three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head and, um, and restore you back to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. Through a dream about grapes in a cup, Joseph said, okay, in three days, get ready. God's going to raise you and you're going to go back to your spot. Okay, that's a good, you want to hear those kinds of interpretations. So, we get to the next dream in verse 16 of 40. When the chief baker, watch this, he saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head stacked up. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. Okay, he's going to hope that three days, I'm back. But he, that's not a, this was not a good interpretation, but it was a true one. He says, this is the interpretation of that dream. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Not a, not a dream you won't interpret it. Yet it was true both times. Just imagine all of that was happening so God would save that covenant family. To keep this line in order. Okay, let's do it one more scripture to look at. Genesis 41 starting in verse 1. Now he's going to hear the boss's dream. Pharaoh's dream. This was all set in place to where he could be at this spot to hear the king's, the Pharaoh's, dream. And here's what he said. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by a river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they were fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river. But these seven were ugly and gaunt and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows, and cows don't eat cows, you understand that. And the ugly and gaunt, weak, skinny, bony cows ate up the seven fine-looking fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and he dreamt a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain come up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads Blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So the Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of the wise men. And Pharaoh told them these dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler, one of the guys in the prison with him, spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream one night and he and I, each of us, dreamt according to the interpretation of our own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted the dreams for us. Let's go to verse 17. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. And he told him about the seven cows, and he told him about the seven uh, stalks of grain that came up, one lean, one fat. Then go to verse 25. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. He's it's telling you the same thing. The seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and, seven, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. So you know this story. In the midst of that dream, God put Joseph in prison with these two men. One man remembered him. Two years later, brought him out to stand before Pharaoh to hear this particular dream. Here's the dream. And, And the interpretation is this. Joseph came to Pharaoh and said, here's what's about to happen. We're going to have seven great years. The next seven years are going to be great. A lot of prosperity, a lot of good things. Following that, you're going to hit seven years of some of the toughest time Egypt has ever known. And this entire area has ever known. God has given you this dream, Pharaoh, because he is telling us in the seven, this first seven years, we are to prepare everything we can. We're to stock all, all the grains we can get. We're to s- supply everything we can, stock it up. Because we will need to help this nation through a time of great poverty. A great difficulty. And so that happened. And that was an awesome thing just to think about it. But remember, there was this family line that was stuck in that drought. Not even in Egypt. Would have potentially died of starvation. But God moved all of this down to get that family from where it was down into Egypt to get this message, to get provision, to protect the family because they possess the seed that was going to produce the Messiah, the Redeemer of the entire world. You think our God is not complex and amazing? Wow. Wow. To even have a comprehension of this God, it blows my mind. It's like there's a scripture that talks about the potter. Remember that scripture about the potter? And it says, what can the pot think or know of the the mind or the will of that potter? It's just that our comparison is that we're the clay pot, and he's the one who's shaping and forming everything that we have. If I had time, and I'm going to cut a little short here, I'd take you to Romans chapter 12. We're not going to go, but I'm just going to tell you this. Paul wrote it in Romans 12 that there are giftings of the Holy Spirit. That are given among the body of Christ. Supernatural abilities. Some are to administrate. Chris administrated our banquet. And in pulling those hundreds of details together. There is the gifting of administration. There's the prophet who will proclaim to you truth. Speak the truth in season and out of season. There are evangelists who take the message of the gospel out on, some of our guys are going out on Wednesday night into our communities, taking the message of the gospel out. There are teachers like Mike and Brother Calvin and Brother Jim and uh, many other teachers who take that word of God, work on it, get it down to where we can understand it and teach it, feed it to us on a regular basis. There are giftings of giving. There are people out there that have been a part of this church. There's one family in particular, I'm not going to tell you the name, but uh, with this new building and stu- stuff, have probably given 80 some thousand dollars. Not, no longer able to attend church, but just because of that gifting. God gave them the ability to make money and to be givers. That's all happening. Teachers, leaders, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Uh, on and on, we could go mercy givers, those of you who have compassion and, and you bring healing to us. All of that, we think, well that's just who we, know. that's the kingdom of God flowing through us to accomplish something that if you're a pastor and realize that a church stays together more than a week, you know it's a miracle. There's, we're so different and we have so many different things that just the thought, how could we stay together? Only by the work of God. It's a miracle this thing called the church. Hamlin, you're a miracle. And you've been put in place for such a time as this. Do we even know what it is? I don't know yet. I don't know what it is complete. But I know he's getting it ready. He's getting this body ready. To be the, this, the house of God. A, a light in this side of our community. Vicki, come on.